the purpose of a medical is to get to ensure that fishers have the sufficient vision and hearing to keep a good lookout um, and to do their job safely and also to ensure that they don't put themselves or their crew at risk. And I still come across fishermen who are not aware of this requirement and their eyes suddenly open up very wide when I inform them of it. And now all of a sudden um, they're very concerned what it all means for them. I mean, what I will say is once they're in the system, they can get their grandfather rights. Once they've got their appointment by the 30th of November, I think we could, we could probably work with that. Good day all and welcome to the third episode of this season's Fathom podcast. As always, I'm your host, Chris Ramford from the Cornish Fish Producers Organisation. And in this episode, we focus in on the very important issue of the MCA medical certificate requirement. The podcast touched on medicals earlier this year as part of a broader health and safety episode. So it's worth going back to the start of this year to see how this situation has evolved. But this time around, we have decided to dedicate a full episode to help unpack this issue. So in true Fathom style, we've sought out the experts on this particular theme and I'm very grateful to welcome safety expert Charles Blythe from the NFFO to come back on as Fathom co-host. As well as Charles, we welcome on Julie Carlton, who is the head of Seafarer Safety and Health at the MCA. And Charles and Julie cover some very important parts of the medical certificate requirement, a bit of a who, what, where, when and why process, and also delve into an important part about how do grandfather rights work. Clearly, this remains a very live issue, but this podcast begins to unravel some of the complexities and discuss the rising number of concerns that are circulating across the coastline. Anyway, that's enough from me and this introduction. Lots to listen to here, so let's get into it. Over to Charles and Julie. Uh, a bit of an opening comment, maybe um, Charles and, and Julie, you want to cover this one together, but I think just to help listeners understand, the, the, it would be good to unpick the foundations of the medical. So a bit of a where, when, who, what, why. So um, it's the last piece in, in the jigsaw, really, of our implementation of the ILO 188 Convention, which is the ILO Working Fishing Convention, which covers a whole range of issues around living and working conditions. And it's a global standard. It was agreed um, between fishing vessel owners, fishermen and governments back in 2007 in Geneva. We've been rolling that out. We implemented the convention back in 2018 and we had a five-year phase in. And this is the end of that five-year phase in period. And the, the medicals for the small vessels is the sort of last, last piece in the jigsaw. And the, the purpose of it is to ensure that, and the convention says, you know, the, the purpose of a medical certificate is to ensure that fishers have the sufficient vision and hearing to keep a good lookout um, and to do their job safely, and also to ensure that they don't put themselves or their crew at risk because of the fact that they're at sea um, away from support. From my perspective, ILO 188 has been quite uh, groundbreaking in improving the living and working conditions and indeed the welfare of fishermen in the UK. However, as a, I'm sure we all appreciate, um, there is concern now that the last phase of the implementation of the medical examinations may be in some cases detrimental to some fishers' welfare, largely due to these fishers becoming confused or not understanding the full process of the examination system correctly. 
Um, the feedback I get from my various visits and harbours is that this is the main topic of concern at the moment on the quayside, whether people will pass, whether they will be able to continue their current occupation. So um, from an NFFO perspective, it is certainly high on our agenda as the concern is growing. I'm mindful that the MCA have been doing some uh, industry engagement in recent weeks or months, meeting with your team in Newlyn uh, not so long ago and um, with Charles there as well. So hopefully that gave you some, or the MCA, some insight into the reaction from the fishing industry to this and obviously an opportunity for the fishing industry to ask some questions and get some clarity because I feel that it's the probably fear or the unknown of the medical that's kind of got the better of the actual plan and the process of what you how you introduce this. So maybe, Julie, we'll start with you just... What was that like in terms of that roadshow, that engagement, the feedback that you picked up from the industry? How's the MCA going to uh, incorporate that or adopt that? Or is there any response that you're thinking or reaction to that to to help smooth this process? Yeah, sure. Um, If I could just go back, though, to the engagement we did much earlier on, so before we implemented the regulations. So back in 2017, 2018, we were doing consultation on the implementation of ILO 188 generally. And the issues that were raised then about the medicals were access to the approved doctors, to the doctors who do the ENG1 medical, which is obviously used on the, the larger vessels and is also available to fishers on in the inshore fleet if that's what they prefer. And also the need to allow time for people to, to get their medicals. And so we did appoint some additional approved doctors in some of the sort of key areas where there's large fishing communities. And that's why we've ended up with this five-year phasing period that we're now coming to the end of. More recently, with the, the roadshows, we've called it, I mean, there's been a lot of concern about actually just being able to get appointments. And we, we do understand that. I mean, GPs are incredibly busy at the moment. It is hard to get appointments. What we've done about that is to try and raise awareness of what the ML5 is with the doctors by writing to the care commissioning groups in England in the areas where we, we know there are particular issues and also to the um, the health boards in Scotland in, in particular areas to make people aware of what the ML5 is and why it's important that fishermen are able to get appointments for it. We can't obviously force them to provide appointments but just to encourage and um, provide the information that they need. We've also been working with Fishermen's Mission um, and their CFIT programme and they've been doing work with on the key side to try and help fishermen prepare for their medicals but also more recently they've actually been able to provide doctors able to actually do the medicals on the key side and we hope that that will that will be able to continue as well to, to make some more appointments available and then of course there's an awful lot of anxiety about whether the fishermen will pass the medical there's been a lot of concerns about the the, the misunderstanding to be honest that if you have a bmi of over 35 you're going to fail bmi is not a pass fail issue it's just an indicator that the doctor will take into account to make them look at sort of wider issues. So if you go for an ML5 and your BMI is over 35, then the initial doctor who, who will just complete the report isn't able to issue the certificate on the day, but that's not a fail. You just need to send your form into the MCA and the MCA assessor will then look at the wider health issues. Um, and we've had lots of fishermen through that system who have got medicals with a BMI of well over 35. Um, and the other issue we've talked about through those workshops is the grandfather rights and the fact that if we're already a fisherman before the regulations came into force, if you had a stable medical condition, then the fact that you've been working with it for a period of time, the doctor can take that into account in, in assessing your fitness and because you've demonstrated you can manage that. We can't promise that everybody will pass or won't get restrictions because clearly if there's a medical condition which could be a risk, an immediate safety risk, we have to do something about that. 
Thank you, Judy. That was uh, really useful. And um, certainly from my perspective, the roadshows were very well received. Although at short notice, I do believe in certain locations, the attendance was pretty good for the fishing industry, which has long struggled to achieve engagement with these sort of events. From some of the fishermen I spoke to at these events, some of their concerns were alleviated, others were not resolved. The main concerns, as you mentioned, seem to be around the availability of appointments. And I don't think we need to look far to see how the current situation within um, the NHS, etc. It's not very good, is it? And how the sudden influx of appointments required come November will be accommodated into the existing uh, medical system. I am a bit concerned about. One of the other concerns is the implementation of grandfather rights. Um, as you rightly say, I don't think a single fisherman has not been issued a medical certificate yet going through this process early. However, there's a growing number of fishermen who are getting issued grandfather rights, but due to the restrictions being applied, such as no loan working, that would make their business unviable. So to them, although they have a medical certificate, they see it as a fail. Um, and the other final concern, which I keep getting um, made aware of, is again the BMI situation. You're completely right in saying that it is just an indicator for someone's health. However, there appears to be some cases where fishermen are issued shorter term certificates because of their BMI only and these fishers are not aware of the other medical conditions which are requiring that certificate to be limited. Okay on that if people have concerns do encourage them to contact us the medical team here are very happy to look into issues and if the fisherman hasn't been given information we can go back and, and look into that and similarly if the end result is that they're not able to carry on doing what they're doing. Do contact us. Again, I can't promise that we could always do something, but we will look at the options and see if there's anything we can do to help. No, thank you, Julie. And I guess um, another concern stemming from that is the deadline for grandfather rights to be applied, which is the 30th November. And should fishermen not have their medical before that date, they're in a quite a serious situation should they have a range of medical conditions. And I guess this brings me to the main issue, that is why would somebody other than to get issued grandfather rights go for their medical so many months ahead of time? It's like myself booking in my vehicle's MOT six months before it expires. The only person which loses out is the vehicle owner. And in this case, it is the fisher who feels like they are not gaining anything from having this certificate voluntarily so many months in advance. And from what I hear on the key is, the people who intend to comply with this try and book an appointment in November. And I'm not sure if you have any figures as to how many fishermen are still need to go through this process. I think we're going to be needing thousands of appointments in November. Yeah, we don't have exact figures because, as you know, if fishermen go for the ML5 and the doctor is able to issue this certificate on the day, in other words, there are no relevant medical conditions that require 
a referral. We don't ever see that. The fisherman has their certificate and, and that's it. So um, we can estimate on the basis of boatmasters licenses, for example, which also use the ML5, where we know it's about 15% of those who require an ML5 that come through for a referral. We're sort of estimating between 50 and 30% for fishermen because they're coming through for the first time. So yes, you're probably right. There are probably a lot of fishermen still requiring a medical in November. Um, I mean, what I will say is once they're in the system, they can get their grandfather rights as long as they've got as long as they've got their appointment by the 30th of November. I think we can we can probably work with that. It's the um, people that haven't engaged that, that, that'll be the issue. Yeah, yeah sure. And um, I guess in terms of engagement or um, noting all of the recent events and effort made, which is greatly received. There is a still a proportion of what I will say is quite a fragmented industry, which don't have PO or federation representation. And I still come across fishermen who are not aware of this requirement and their eyes suddenly open up very wide when I inform them of it. And now all of a sudden um, they're very concerned what it all means for them. And we, of course, signpost them to where to find that the correct information. And often that is the ML5 flyer that the MCA recently published, which is re- a really useful resource to inform these people. Thank you. Yes. And we do have, you know, we will be doing some communications over the summer, quite a, a range of issues, hopefully, to, to get the message out there in different ways and to try and reach the people that haven't yet heard about it. Yes. So, Julie, what is VMCA's position should the deadline be passed and a lot of our fishing industry have um, not become compliant with this regulation? Could you explain to our listeners what will happen to these individuals, please? As is normally the case with MCA enforcement, the surveyor can issue, they have a range of enforcement tools available, but one of those is to set a deadline for compliance. And so... That is one of the options would be, you know, if if they go on board and the fisherman hasn't got a a medical certificate, but has has tried, you know, has tried to get an appointment or whatever, they can give them a a deadline for achieving that. So that that is one option. But the whole range of options is there. And what will be the position if compliance is in reality impossible? An example is a insulin dependent diabetic who has been safely operating his fishing vessel on his own for a number of years. And now past a certain date, um, that activity is considered inviolable. What happens to those people who know they will not pass or get issued an unrestricted certificate yet still want to continue their business? The regulations are there. The regulations are from an international standard. This is the only sector, the remaining sector of people working at sea where there isn't a medical fitness standard. It's the only transport type related sector where there isn't a a medical standard and and unfortunately that may mean that for some people they they need to change the way they they work. Of course it is worth noting that the inshore fishing sector I would argue is vastly different from most other sectors of the maritime industry and when we consider the operation of these vessels which are often a couple of miles from the shore often single-handed but likely to be in a a wider group of um, individual vessels. Do you believe that the standard being applied, which I note is the same standard applicable to international merchant seafarers, is suitable um, in the first instance in rolling this out? Do you think that is going to be more detrimental to the fishers' welfare and health, or do you think ultimately it will benefit it? I mean, there are other small boats, other work boats that work close to shore, 
you know, which have medical certificates and apply with the same standards. In fact, there are some fishermen, aren't there, who work on those vessels and will already have medical certificates because when they're out, you know, out of season or whatever, they work in other sectors. But I mean, as for the standards, the standards are quite flexible and they, they do take account of, you know, of, of the area of operation. Um, they take account of the, the role of the person on board. It's not um, you know, that there are built into those standards. It's not the same level of medical fitness for a, a master, a deep sea master of a merchant ship who may be days from medical assistance if something goes wrong. That's not applied in the same way to somebody who can get back to shore in a few hours. So there is lots of flexibility in there. And I say that's already being used across other maritime sectors. Yeah, sure. I, I appreciate that. But at the same time, um, with respect, I disagree with how the standard differs from applying to a fisherman and a master of a large vessel. And the reason I say that is fishing vessels, unlike any other commercial vessel operating close to the shore, may be single handed and on a work boat. That isn't usually the case. And I guess a lot of people come to me and say, if this was really about safety, why isn't this being required for passengers going out on passenger vessels or recreational vessels where they're going to sea alongside the commercial fishing vessels? I think fishermen have become quite concerned that there isn't a level playing field when they leave their harbour. People from other sectors or the recreational world are just not on the same playing field as these fishermen in terms of safety regulations and compliance. Yeah, well, I think that's just, it's its the difference between running a business and doing something for pleasure, isn't it? It's, it's a difference in the way regulation applies. Yeah, I would say every, to me, every individual's life is just as valuable, whether they are making money or having fun at sea, their life and the preservation of that is just as important. But I appreciate in a commercial aspect, things do have to be different. I, I think that's covered some of the key points really well. Clearly, this isn't a, we haven't got to an answer or a conclusion, but we're, we're dealing with something that's active. And obviously, from the MCA, we understand the process that's led us to this point, but I think from Charles's point and obviously from, from myself um, at, at the CFPO, this is something that we'll have to continue working on to find a way forward, a, a more flexible way forward, I hope. And I think, I mean, hopefully this podcast goes some way to just raising awareness about this. I totally agree with Charles. There's pockets of people out there on the coastline that would have had no clue about this, as well as many other things in the fishing industry. And, and it's so important that we do put the effort in throughout the next couple of weeks, months to make sure everybody has the basic information, I think, just to ensure no one falls foul or, or misses a key deadline here and ends up in a much worse position as a result. Uh, just just to repeat that, actually, if people have concerns, do contact us. The phone number and the email address are on that leaflet that Charles mentioned. Yeah, and just to say the NFFO are more than happy to assist any fisherman who is concerned with their result. And we are more than happy to help them engage and liaise with the MCA to try and find a feasible solution. I do have one more question for you, Julie, if that's okay. Um, do you know if the MCA have any data or research in relation to the impact that this may have on fishermen not being able to continue their current occupation? I have looked into the original impact um, assessment for these regulations. And to me, I would welcome a bit more detail and clarity there. Yeah, well, because nobody has yet failed, <laughs> we've got no evidence of what that impact will be. If there are people who are unable to continue, we need to know that 
who those people, you know, how many of those there are. We don't know. The assessor doesn't know when they necessarily what the impact will be, depending on how open the fisherman is with when they discuss that. Yeah, sure. And I guess it's very important to make um, there is a clear difference between a failure of this examination and restrictions being applied, which a fisherman may perceive as a failure. Um, there's two kind of different tranches on the go here. But both may have an impact. So, you know, so any information you or, or others can provide that, that would help us to do that impact. Okay. Yeah. I think that's a really important point. Well, well picked up on at the end there, both listeners out there from the industry. Just, uh, yeah, I think that's the clear message there. Um, the NFFO is there to pick up any issues and Charles is well placed to give good guidance. And obviously the MCA have got their own direct line for medical. So I'm sure that'll be useful to help advise people and just give that basic information to those that aren't aware of this or are just picking up on this now as a, 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 and seeing the November deadline fast approaching. So just want to thank you both for coming on. Thanks, Julie. Really appreciate you coming on uh, for the MCA and just giving some clarity on that. And Charles, as always, uh, our sort of safety expert from the podcast and the industry. Thanks again. Fathom was brought to you by the Cornish Fish Producers Organisation with support from Seafarers UK. 